John Barr, I'm going to start with this. What intrigues you about a Super Bowl in Las Vegas in 2024? Well, Clinton, there's a lot of history there. You know, if you go back 21 years, the Vegas tourism industry was looking to launch a new ad campaign. It had partnered with a company called R&R Partners. And the creative team at R&R Partners, they're the ones that came up with that now famous slogan, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. They actually called it, what happens here stays here. They came up with this ad campaign and they wanted to make a big splash, right? And so they decided to buy a Super Bowl commercial, which is how you make a big splash. And they planned to air that after the uh, Super Bowl uh, following the 2002-2003 season. But the problem was when the NFL got wind of it, they shut it down and they essentially banned the commercial. For the longest time, the NFL didn't want to associate its brand in any way with Las Vegas. And that's true for the other sports leagues as well. There had been a number of betting scandals through the years. There had been stories about point shaving, fixing games, really those things associated with the old Vegas that was run by the mob, the hangover, if you will, from those scandals really led the NFL and the other sports leagues to not want to associate their brands in any way with the city of Las Vegas. But now there's been this remarkable shift. The NFL has a team in Las Vegas and the NHL has a team in Las Vegas and the WNBA has a team in Las Vegas. Major League Baseball, you know, is finalizing plans to bring the A's to Las Vegas. The NBA is, is talked about as a potential expansion site. And in the last few years, we've just seen this complete, you know, 180 where the major sports leagues have come to embrace sports betting. They have partnerships with the various sports books. They have sports books in arenas and stadiums in many cases. And so there has been a complete shift in the way the major sports leagues view Sin City, and nothing says that more than the NFL's signature event, the Super Bowl, being in Las Vegas. widespread legalization of sports betting may or may not have been a prerequisite for a Vegas Super Bowl. But the moment is here, and the city, alongside the NFL, are ready to cash in. So today, with billions of dollars in Super Bowl bets rolling in, ESPN's John Barr tracks how sports books have become a bigger and bigger part of the fan experience, and whether or not we truly understand the costs. I'm Clinton Yates. It's Friday, February 2nd. This is ESPN Daily. Passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. 
With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. John, you're part of the reporting team on this project for Outside the Lines. It's on the state of sports betting in America. And over the past few years, our show has covered the evolving landscape of sports betting as well. But let's do a refresher for everybody. You mentioned this briefly at the top, but I want to dive into it. These sports betting scandals, what were they, how'd they play out, and what do you think their long-term impact was on the sporting world and the public? Well, you could go back even beyond this, but of course the most infamous one was the 1919 Black Sox scandal. The World Series between the Chicago White Sox and the Cincinnati Reds where eight players on the White Sox were accused of throwing the series because they'd been paid off by the mob. Of course, that became uh, the subject of a film, Eight Men Out. Great movie. Great movie. 1963, you had the NFL suspending two of its biggest stars, the Golden Boy, Green Bay Packers, Paul Horning, the, the Detroit Lions, Alex Karras. They were suspended for the entire season for betting on NFL games. In 1980, investigators discovered that members of the Boston College men's basketball team had shaved points in a scheme involving organized crime. And then in 1989, you had Charlie Hustle, Pete Rose, baseball's all-time hits leader, you know, banned for life for betting on baseball. And so after all of that, in 1992, Congress stepped in and they passed something called the Professional and Amateur Sports Protection Act, which essentially banned sports betting nationwide outside of Nevada. And so that essentially codified in federal law this ban on sports betting. One of the things that's interesting to me is that for years, these leagues had strict rules to keep players from betting on their sports. Bans on betting were wrapped up in this moralistic, paternalistic policy approach. How did all that change? Yeah, I'll tell you, Clinton, the people we talked to said, look, we live in a time where Democrats and Republicans can't agree about anything. But in a little more than five years, Democrats and Republicans in state houses across the country have greenlit legal, regulated sports betting. And I'm talking about in conservative states, in traditionally uh, democratic states. Uh, it, it is now in 38 states, plus the District of Columbia and Puerto Rico, so 40 jurisdictions. And, and that happened in a little more than five years. Now, how did it happen? Well, New Jersey became the first to really challenge the federal ban on sports betting. There was a state senator there who was concerned about the struggling casino industry. So he thought, there was a way to prop it up, and that would be legal sports betting in New Jersey. Well, not surprisingly, they got pushback from the, from the leagues, from the NCAA, and from the federal government. But, you know, there were some turning point moments along the way. After 2011, when New Jersey became the first to challenge the federal law, you know, in, in November of 2014, you had NBA Commissioner Adam Silver writing an op-ed for the New York Times suggesting that sports betting should be legalized and regulated. And his rationale at the time was like, look, this is a $400 billion a year industry. And if it's going to happen anyway, let's make it transparent and let's regulate it. And then in May of 2018, that's when the real watershed moment arrived. Uh, that's when the Supreme Court 
uh, voted to essentially strike down PASPA, the Professional and Amateur Sports Protection Act. And that essentially cleared the way for states to do whatever they wanted to do. And that year, eight states made sports betting legal. And since that time, uh, 30 others have followed suit. Uh, it's still the case that big states like California and Texas don't have legal online regulated sports betting, but 38 states do. Let me ask you this in your personal life. I know for me, I'm a 42-year-old man. Sports gambling was always sort of a part of being a sports fan, but I don't gamble. I knew guys who did. They had their bookies. They had whatever. So by the time it came into regular sort of everyday life, it was not that big of a jump. But what do you think specifically or even generally sort of motivated Americans to change their minds on this overall versus what we thought of it before being something you did in seedy back rooms with mobsters who would break your neck if you couldn't pay them back? Yeah, I think this is a situation where the public was ahead of the policymakers by a mile. I think Americans have always bet on sports, right? Yeah. I know where I live, you can't go down to a corner bar without finding somebody who has some action on some of the games. Uh, you know, and, and there are bookies uh, still to this day. There's still a very robust illegal betting market, even in those states where uh, gambling is legal and regulated. But, you know, there's, there's been a, a shift in public opinion. It's, it is now the case that the public overwhelmingly supports legal online sports betting. And the numbers back that up. You know, in 2018, when sports betting first became legal federally, uh, there were $6 billion wagered, the handle, in other words, $6 billion was wagered on sports betting in 2018. Last year, it was more than $100 billion. So mm. that's the, the amount that's wagered legally on the regulated market. And in the five plus years since the federal law was struck down, more than $300 billion has been wagered on sports and that's generated $5 billion in tax revenue. So those policymakers that passed it, that's the number that they're most interested in. <laughs> I think last year, the state of New York got close to a billion dollars in tax revenue from legal sports betting in the state. Look, this has been the intersection of two highly addictive things, gambling and the phone. <laughs> you know, what, what young person today is not addicted to their phone? And the idea that a bet is as close as your phone uh, is what is really fueling the growth of this industry. Mobile betting has brought a rise in all sorts of different types of forms of gambling. Prop bets, not just results-based betting. For those who don't really know the parlance of sports gambling, can you explain what those differences are versus the thing that most people are understanding of is you bet on somebody to win or you bet on somebody to lose? Yeah, it used to be the case that you, you you put your money down on either the money line or a bet against the spread, or maybe you bet the over-under, and you sat down for three hours and you waited for the outcome of the game. Well, now it's the case that you can bet in-game. You can bet on the over-under total for the half. You can bet on whether or not someone's going to score a touchdown on a particular drive. You can bet on how many points they're going to make in a quarter, whether they're going to make a certain number of free throws. You can literally bet in the moment and, and that, frankly, is what concerns a lot of people. I know it concerns Charlie Baker, the president of the NCAA, who we sat down with. He's of the mind that prop betting should be banned from collegiate athletics. Uh, Baker believes that uh, collegiate athletes who are already seeing an, uh, an increase in the amount of online harassment from gambling interests and are surrounded by their classmates, many of whom are betting, 
uh, are vulnerable to being influenced to perhaps jeopardizing the integrity of the game because somebody might have a prop bet. And the example he provided to us is, look, maybe they get nudged by their classmate and that classmate says, hey, man, I'm not asking you to to throw the game, but could you just miss your first couple of free throws so I can nail my prop bet? Uh, those are the kinds of things that he says should be taken out of the game by eliminating prop bets from collegiate athletics, but they have become a staple of these sites. One of the things you guys documented in your Outside the Lines coverage is how online communities are forming to participate in all of this together and also how very much in-person communities are gathering to do this together. One of the things I remember covering the World Series is walking out of the ballpark. They have in Chase Field one sports book. You walk past the footprint center two blocks away. There's another sports book where the Suns play and the places were packed. People in there having a great time. That communal experience online and in person, that is quite the development in this entire situation, John. Without a doubt. And look, it, it has to be noted that overwhelmingly people are not going to develop a gambling problem. It's a, it's a very small percentage still of people who do. The vast majority of people See, this is entertainment. This has become part of the fan experience. And there's no doubt uh, communities are forming online, in person. Part of the fun for a lot of fans these days is bragging about whether your parlay bet hit or talking smack if somebody's bet doesn't. You can find all kinds of colorful stories online, and we've reported some of them uh, in this series for outside the lines. And yes, look, this is a way for fans to engage with sports. It's the number one engagement tool for, for sports. If you have a bet on a game, it is the most significant influencer of whether you will actually watch that game, not surprisingly. So yeah, it's a, it, it has very much become part of the fan experience. And for a lot of people, it's just fun. It's entertaining. Coming up, the bleak side of sports betting. Warm up with the hottest games live with Vivid Seats. No matter the sport, Vivid Seats wants to get you to the games you love. Plus, with Vivid Seats rewards, you can score free tickets, surprise seat upgrades, an annual birthday discount, and more. They're the only ticket company in the game that rewards fans for every purchase. As the official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code DAILY. That's code DAILY. Visit vividseats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats. Experience it live. Delicious, meat nutritious. In the snack that packs a real protein punch. Wonderful pistachios, one of the highest protein nuts out there. Each one-ounce serving has 6 grams of protein, giving you over 10% of your daily value. Wonderful pistachios also come in a variety of flavors and sizes, perfect for enjoying with family and friends or taking them with you on the go. And you're on the go a lot, taking the kids to school, hopping from meeting to meeting, shopping for groceries. Well, the good news is not only are wonderful pistachios a complete protein, providing all nine essential amino acids. They're also great for all your adventures. So whether you're a pistachio purist who loves cracking open every nut, or you prefer the convenience of no-shells pistachios, Wonderful Pistachios has got you covered. 
Grab wonderful pistachios and elevate your snacking game today. Visit wonderfulpistachios.com to learn more. So, John, based on what you've shared, the upsides of sports betting would be the entertainment value and, of course, the lucrative market it provides for various businesses of all types. But I'm wondering what you see as the flip side of all that. What do you think are the potential drawbacks right now to legalized sports betting? Well, we've certainly seen an increase in the number of calls to uh, problem gambling hotlines. Um, you know, the United Way of Cleveland that manages the state's gambling helpline from January of 2022 to January 2023, calls increased by a rate of 277%. So certainly there are more people reaching out for help. And look, just because gambling is now legal in 38 states, it doesn't mean we haven't seen integrity issues in sport. The people who support the spread of legal regulated gambling would argue that it's because of that transparency that we've identified these integrity issues. But you look at the recent examples, you know, in the recent days, we had a Patriots wide receiver, Keisha Boutte, who uh, was arrested He's accused of betting more than 8,900 times while he was at LSU. Of course, there was the Iowa-Iowa State scandal where several players there were, were betting on sports, betting underage. You had the situation with the Alabama baseball coach who was fired for participating in a scheme to place bets on his team to lose. So you had all these recent examples of cases where potential integrity issues have been weeded out. So that's something that has occurred during this period of legalization. One could argue that legalization has helped to clean up issues like that. Uh, but look, there's a company we spoke with in our reporting, U.S. Integrity, that does a lot of work for the NCAA and other leagues. U.S. Integrity has a new tool called ProBet. And the way it will work is, essentially, if you're an athlete in the collegiate ranks, for example, or an athletics official at the school or a coach, the moment you try to place a bet on a FanDuel or a DraftKings or an ESPN bet, uh, you'll get flagged in real time. And, and that would be a way to sort of nip it in the bud before it starts. But that's, again, that's in states where there's legal regulated sports betting, where they can use technology such as that. Even there, if a player is betting on the illegal market, there's really no way to know. What's particularly pernicious about all of this, and I think does relate to how we try to figure out how many people actually have disorders, is that because of the technology that we mentioned, you can put a bet down any time of day, any time of night. It feels that there is that tough part between the technology for good and the technology for bad. Yeah. And, and with gambling in particular, uh, you know, it, it's lumped in, in in the diagnostic manual for mental health professionals, it's lumped in with things like opioids and, and, and marijuana and alcohol. And all of those things get, in, in many cases, hundreds of millions of dollars uh, sent their way uh, for, for treatment programs, for education. And the folks who advocate for responsible gambling, like the National Council on Problem Gambling, for example, they make the point that there right now is a dramatic shortage in funding for any kind of education programs or treatment programs for problem gamblers. The dollars just aren't going into gambling right now. 
so you have a situation where gambling has been, because the federal law was struck down, gambling spread rapidly to 38 states. And yet right now, 20% of the states that get tax money from online gambling don't spend a dime of it on education or treatment of problem gamblers. And there are some people who think there's a real problem with that. Unfortunately, to stay in the sort of negative part of this discussion, what is being done to help across some of these states to address this problem? Well, there are some policymakers who have pushed back in recent months. Uh, Senator Richard Blumenthal from Connecticut, he's been one of the country's leading voices on the human cost of sports gambling. Uh, He recently co-sponsored a new bill. It's called the GRIT Act. And the GRIT Act would do a few things. Every time a bet is placed, no matter what state you're in, there's a federal excise tax associated with that bet. Right now, none of that money goes to education. None of that money goes to problem gambling. None of that money goes to research of problem gambling. The GRID Act, if it were passed, would uh, bankroll uh, the first national prevalence study since 1999. It would study how you know, the level of problem gambling, and it would earmark some of that money for education and for treatment. And then uh, Congressman Paul Tonko, a Democrat from New York, before last year's Super Bowl introduced legislation, it essentially mirrored language that was once used against Joe Camel and the tobacco industry. And essentially what Tonko has proposed is a federal ban on those gambling ads that have become just ever present during sports broadcasts these days. He's gotten not surprisingly, pushback from the industry. Um, you know, his his bill was introduced more than a year ago, and uh, it still doesn't have a co-sponsor. Uh, there's not a lot of people who, who think it's got a chance of passing, but at least he's engaging in the debate about whether we should think about these ads and whether they're targeting young people in particular who are vulnerable to developing gambling problems. In your reporting, what did you find that each specific league had in mind or had in place to prevent these problems or to just in general sort of control their message around what gambling, sports gambling specifically meant for their leagues, not just the general landscape, be it college or pro overall? Well, look, I think the leagues have done uh, a lot of work to educate not only their employees, but their athletes. You know, you, you, if you're, if you're a, uh, an athlete in any one of the major professional sports and you claim you don't know what the rules are for gambling, then you just ain't paying attention because uh, they are made aware of what the rules are. And and still you have examples of players who are running afoul of the rules. I mean, we interviewed Isaiah Rogers, a former Colts cornerback who was recently signed by the Eagles. This is a guy who was in the last year of a $3.4 million contract. He was making $850,000 a year. And last June, he was one of four players suspended because he was betting not just on the NFL, he was betting on the Colts. Isaiah told us that he was placing bets on behalf of other people. He was up in Indiana. He says he was placing bets for people who were in Florida, which at the time did not have legal sports betting. Uh, but, you know, you, you have these examples of of these players who are still breaking the rules, uh, and, and they really have no excuse because the rules are made abundantly clear to them. But then you also have this sort of dichotomy, right? At the same time, all these sports are telling their players, don't bet on sports. Man, they've gone all in. (laughs) They have sports books in their arenas. There are now hundreds of 
partnership deals with these online gambling companies. And I think it's fairly safe to say that the, the major sports leagues have embraced sports betting in, in a major way. If you want to have an idea of how much money Isaiah Rogers was gambling, we'll make sure to tune in the show because John presses him on it. And it is one of the more fascinating parts of the interview, if you ask me. But to return to where we started, John, what do you know about what's coming from this Super Bowl weekend in terms of gambling? What's it going to be like to be in Vegas, even if you're lying about why you're there, as many people like to do? I think it's going to be nuts. <laughs> you know, when I, when I was there researching this story, they had the Formula One event. They were on the, a few days away from hosting the Formula One. And you couldn't get in an Uber without an Uber driver complaining <laughs> about how the Formula One track had just completely thrown a wrench into traffic there. But look, I think in many cases, you, you could make a strong case that this is a perfect marriage. Las Vegas really is the entertainment capital of this country. Sports betting has a long and rich history in that town. Uh, the Super Bowl is the event when it comes to betting on sports. And the idea that there's this perfect nexus in the desert in Nevada, uh, I, you, you couldn't write it any better. And for Billy Vassiliadis and his team at r, &R Partners, the people who came up with the What Happens in Vegas Stays in Vegas campaign all those years ago, uh, for them to have a commercial that was banned 21 years ago, and, and for them to now be living in the town where the NFL is hosting its signature event, it, it's quite a development in a little more than two decades. I got one piece of advice for people going to Vegas. Two words. Stay hydrated. Thank you, John. <laughs> you bet. Thank you. If you want more from John's reporting, OTL's coverage on sports betting in America will be on ESPN's YouTube channel and is running on SportsCenter today at 2 Eastern. And then again on Saturday and Sunday at 9 a.m. bright and early. I'm Clinton Yates. This has been ESPN Daily. Our show is produced by Bruce Baldwin, Ashley Brown, Bradford Craig, Andrew Hahn, Alexander Hyacinth, Ryan Nantel, Mike Philbrick, and Phoebe Untermann. Special thanks to Vin Canamella and Jackson Agello. We'll talk to you Monday, kiddos. Hold up. 